The second reading is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, on page 1024 of the Church Bibles. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Oh, good evening. Three weeks ago, I had some friends come down from Newcastle, and uh, we had to go to here on Monday. And uh, my friend, uh, um, who's retired, had bought a new car, and he said, "Oh, I'd take my drive my car to New Subaru." I thought, "Oh, okay." Um, anyway, he said, "Get in it, and there's no keys and all that sort of stuff." And then there's all these other things, and I'm just thinking, he starts telling me about all the, the uh, gadget or the uh, the tricks this car has, and I thought, whoa. Anyway, um, I didn't pick them all up, but I started picking them up as I drove, because um, first of all, I'm driving out to Yarraman, and he says, it's got this thing that if you're not looking at the screen, it warns you. Said, really? He said, yeah, yeah, well, wait till there's no cars coming, then just move your head away from the side for a while, and... So, no cars coming, move ahead of it. Beep, 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 beep. Put my head back, it goes off, you know. Beep, 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 put my head back. Oh, wow, okay, right. It was a bit longer than that, but it was, you know, not, not so it was unsafe, but I thought, wow, that's an interesting thing. So, it meant if you, if you started talking to someone or walking where you shouldn't be, it'd bring you back to get your attention on the road. I thought, gee, that'd be really good. Because uh, a couple of weeks earlier, uh, no, you just not be long before that. Uh, I was coming back from North Richmond, and as I came back from North Richmond over the bridge, and there's a slight bend as you come this way, and I'm following the car in, in front of me, and he's about sort of you know three car lengths away from me. And I always like to leave a bit of space. Having been in the police force, I'm used to collisions and want to give it space. Anyway, we come to the bend there, and there's this truck coming the other way, and this four-wheel drive in front of me, rather than turn the bend, just goes straight ahead. And this truck blows its horn, it's charging off to this big embankment both sides. He's charging off to that embankment, I'm charging off for this embankment because I know in a head-on collision like this, he's going to hit this guy and I'm going to wear the truck. That's what's going to happen, right? So I'm looking for where to go. I've got nowhere to go except the embankment. I can't go up there. 
Anyway, thankfully, at the last minute, this guy turns his wheel and just, somehow just missed the truck. Now, I don't know what he was doing, but I wasn't very impressed with it. And then, know me down the next day, I'm on another road driving along, and I'm uh, following this guy, and suddenly this guy, it's this Castle Ray Road, actually going out of Penrith. So this guy suddenly drifts across the road, oncoming traffic, drifts across about that far into the other lane. And the guys come down, swerve, they still had room to swerve off the road and go past, but they weren't very happy, neither was I. And I'm watching this guy, he's going, yeah, weaving across the lane. In the end, I realised he's on his phone or something, because he was looking down. And I thought, oh. So I was actually thinking, too bad they didn't have this warning, you know, when you're not looking at the road, they bip. Or in this case, my friend's car had that thing about where you're looking with your head, but also had a sensor saying you're in the lane. Because he said, look, it's got this sensor, so if you go out of the lane, it'll warn you. I said, really? Yeah. So I move over to the left, it goes, beep, another sort of beep noise, but a different one, but you know, beep, 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 I'm going over there. So I bring it back, and I move over, nothing coming, so I move over towards the centre, gain the same noise. What a great car. I wish some of the other drivers on the road had one of them anyway. <laughs> but that's what we need. Um, and that's a really good thing to have. But that's a good thing to have in your own life, isn't it? Because if, you would, if you're going through life, we've got to make so many difficult, challenging decisions. And they're there all the time. And if you, if you sort of pull back and don't make them, other people will make them, you'll be involved. Anyway, in the end, we've got to own what happens and there's so many choices to make and sometimes it can be really a challenge to make the right choice. And if we go with the flow, if we go with the people around us, the world's moving away from God and the danger is if we go with that, we'll drift away from God. And we don't want that to happen. So it would really be good if we had some sort of thing like this thing to keep us in the lane, to keep us in the right direction. Well, we have. It's already a built-in extra. It's a basic thing that we all have. It's called a conscience. You've all got one, whether you like it or not. Every living person's got one. Really bad people can so harden their conscience and, and sear their conscience and, and, and mess their minds up with so much rubbish that their conscience just gets messed up too and they have trouble with the conscience. But that's not us. We're people who follow Jesus. We're people who recognise that we're sinful and we recognise we want to change our life and be transformed by Jesus and submit to his leadership and ask his forgiveness. And we're people who are wanting a conscience. Because what the conscience does, it takes knowledge that we have and convicts us when we start to deviate. So it gives us that warning. As soon as we start to move out of the lane, it starts bipping. And the further we go, it starts to play up more. And if we get it really off track, it really starts to play up. And it's built into all of us. It's God-given. But a conscience needs a knowledge base to work from. And the knowledge base is a bit unclear. The conscience can't work so well. So it's really good to have a good knowledge base in our minds of what God wants us to do, of how God wants us to live, how God wants us to respond. And that'll help our conscience to be sharp and keep us very focused on where God wants us to go. With that in mind, let's have a look at this passage because it's going to help us understand that. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. The Spirit says, In later times, some have abandoned the faith and followed deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. These are ones who have strayed, have gone right out of the lane, gone right up, and they've crashed. These are the ones who have crashed. They've got major problems in life. Uh, they, their conscience has been bipping away, they've ignored it or they're deadened themselves to it and they now find themselves in huge trouble. They've not followed Jesus. 
In fact, it goes on to tell us that the problem here in the church is some people have become a sect and they've actually uh, said, look, um, don't just follow Jesus, follow all these rules and laws. And in fact, uh, look, forget about Jesus. These rules and laws are the ways that will get you to heaven. And, and they've actually moved the focus away from Jesus to what people are doing. There are laws regarding marriage, about uh, forbidding marriage, about eating certain foods and not eating foods. And in the end, with things like foods, I mean, how often do you see ads on TV for diets? And food, food that you should eat or not eat. It's constant, isn't it? It was in their days. You know, food was a big issue. And food can be an issue that can absorb people and take control and become their focus. Um, and that's what this, these sectarian rules had had. They had such strong rules that people had looked at the rules and moved their eyes away from Jesus and got confused and strayed. But it says in verse 4 something remarkable. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected. It is received with thanksgiving. It's to be consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Now, people are saying, you can't eat this food, you can't eat that food. In fact, the Old Testament had it. In the Old Testament, the Jews couldn't eat certain foods. And one of them, they couldn't eat pigs. There was no bacon, no ham. It's terrible. What do you do with eggs? Anyway. But sorry, look, we're, we can laugh and we can celebrate because in Jesus we can eat bacon. The food laws don't apply. It's really good because the food laws aren't going to save us. It's faith in Jesus. But look what it says here. Why don't the food laws apply? It says everything created in God is good. It's going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 30. When God created everything, it was all good. There was nothing that was bad, nothing that was harmful. It was good. But then sin entered the world, there was the fall, and things got cursed and things got messed up, and some things were good and some things weren't. Because now not everything in the world is good. And we've got to be able to discern uh, what is good and right and proper and what does God want us to do. The Bible says the world is frustrated and groaning in pain, Romans 8, because the world's messed up because of sin, because of our rejecting God. You and I need discernment to know in our human experience what's attributed to God's creation, which is good, and what's going to be attributed to the fall. We need to understand what that is and how it impacts us. Whether we should be living with it or whether we should be rejecting it, we need to understand that. And it says also about thanksgiving for food. I like this. It says, uh, nothing to be rejected, it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Thanksgiving with food, we call that grace. Grace before a meal or after a meal or in a meal. It doesn't matter where you have it. And some people really think, you can't eat till you say grace. Hmm. That, that creates a problem at year 13 when you've got 60 to 100 people and by the time you get them all together to eat, the food's gone cold. But what you do is you start a meeting and halfway through the meal you say grace or at the end of the meal you say grace, long as you say grace. And it works out really well. Giving thanks to God. It's important. I remember years ago I was in a, in a, a very bad place in Africa and um, we prepared this meal and we were, it would have been insulted the, um, the, the brother of the chief if we didn't eat it. And I said to the guys, some of them were Christians, some of them weren't, I said, I think I should say grace and ask God to help us with this. Grace in that sense was, uh, yes, thanking God for the food, but particularly consecrating it, particularly asking God that we wouldn't get sick, in fact, that we wouldn't die, because uh, people didn't live uh, old and 35 in this area. It was a cesspool of all sorts of diseases and problems in Africa at the time by the Red Cross of World Health, uh, two guys who know what they're talking about. 
And so I said they were really most solemn grace, and all these guys, there were three Christians and three weren't, but all of them said a very serious amen at the end of it. But it wasn't just asking God, you know, don't help us, don't get crook, but it was actually thanking God. Because how often do we eat food and forget to thank God? How often do we get up in the morning and see the sun's out and it's a nice day and forget to thank God? How often do we uh, forget to thank God for the freedom, the liberty we have to move around our country without any problems? Freedom of speech, of the, you know, the income that we have. I mean, how often do we thank God that in Sydney we're in one of the, the top countries in the world or top cities in the world to live in, full stop? And never alone in Australia, we're one of the top countries. And two-thirds of the world are starving today and don't have enough food to eat, and I've got surplus. What about you? We've all got problems with food going off. We get too much of it. You know, we need to remember to thank God more often. And thank God not just for special things that happen, but for common things. I often think, you know, if God treated me as I deserve, I'd get punished, I'd get bad, I'd get wrath, I'd get horrible things happen to me because I'm no good. I'm a sinner. I keep sinning. And I just stand in awe of God. God, you love me, you're faithful to me, and you don't treat me as I deserve because you give good things to me. And I don't deserve it. I deserve bad. How often we thank God for that? He's calling upon Timothy and others to be people who are continually thanking God, celebrating and acknowledging the good gifts of their creator. And we can do that around us. You know, the, the blue sky, the rain we've had, the mountains, the river, the beautiful landscape, even the flowers that are out, the birds, even butterflies. We can thank God for those things. We should have a positive world-affirming, grateful attitude to life with a strong conscience educated by knowledge of God which liberates us to enjoy the good gifts of a good creator. Everything God created is good. Secondly, we're called to train ourselves in godliness in verse 6. If you point these things out to brothers, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching you've followed. And that's the background for verse 7. Have nothing to do with godly myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Timothy's been told, you've got the teaching, you've got the right focus, you've got the right understanding of life. Don't be led astray by godless myths and old wives' tales. Um, there's examples in this passage already about marriage, about different foods. And gullible people can, can just say, oh, that sounds good, and go there without even really thinking about it, being understanding of it. Uh, they're positive about it, but maybe they shouldn't be. Sometimes sceptical people can sort of, you know, if someone says, oh, this food can be dangerous or whatever, sometimes sceptical people can be a bit too negative and uh, be a bit too negative about all sorts of things, even things that may be good. There's food myths around today. We still have them. And sometimes, you know, whole things of food can take your eyes off what you should do. Have you ever heard the one of carrots are good for your eyesight? I'm sure my mother told me that just to make me eat carrots. Uh, someone said that uh, salt will dry up your blood. I hadn't heard that one. I've heard this one. Let me see how many it might affect. Who's got straight hair? Who's got curly hair? The curly hairs ate their crust and the straight hairs didn't. Is that right? 
Well, my mum used to tell me that. What about your mum? I mean, they're old myths and wise tales, aren't they? And really, I think there's no evidence. There may be a bit of evidence about carrots, but there's no evidence about crusts and curly hair. That's a really a fairy story, isn't it? They can be a distraction. You know, those sort of things. I mean, I picked out some funny ones and some you know, ones that we don't even believe. But there were other ones around that time that people were believing and they were then coming focused on, on what you eat and how you, the food you have and not on Jesus. Not on faith in Jesus, it's all about make sure we eat the right sort of food, have the right amount, da-da-da, forget about Jesus. <coughs> it became a distraction, taking people away from looking to Jesus. And Timothy is a young man who's growing up. He knows the importance of training. He knows that it's essential for athletes because he sees it happening around him all the time. There's the Greco-Roman games going on. That's a public thing. It's happening all across the, the Roman Empire um, and people are coming together for these games. It's like a mini sort of Olympic stuff. It's like on Saturday and Sunday, how much sport goes on in our country? And this was happening on a weekly basis. You know, People were coming together for athletic events. But you'd see people training at other times. And it was pretty obvious to see they were competing in training because they had a special uniform, naked. So you could tell, hey, they're training, you've got no clothes on. <laughs> no, it was commonplace. And it was something that people went to watch. I didn't just go to watch the naked people, but went to watch the, uh, the athletes compete. It was very common. And so he knew, as they talk about physical training, he knew uh, there were athletes doing it all the time and it was a really um, an important social thing to be competing in. And so when Paul says to Timothy, train yourselves, he's straight away thinking, training for those games, which you see is going on all around him. And Paul's saying, train yourself to be godly, to have respect and reverence, to be a God-fearing person. And to be, have a godliness like that is going to require self-discipline. It's going to require you to study and learn and develop a knowledge of what pleases God. And godliness is, going to, is continually linked with knowledge because you need to have that knowledge to know what pleases God. And we see part of that knowledge about God in the person of Jesus at the end of chapter 3, just before this. Because it says, beyond the question, the mystery of godliness is great. Now, godliness is one about who God is and who Jesus is, but it's also about our response too. And here we're seeing who Jesus is. He appeared in the body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. A picture of Jesus. A picture of, of God sending Jesus to be our saviour of the world and Jesus doing that. The awesome love of God, the, the, the commitment of Jesus to take our punishment, even though he was completely innocent, so we could be forgiven. And our response, the joy of being saved, the recognising this saves us from the wrath of God. We're people of God. We belong in God's family. We're adopted sons and daughters. And therefore we want to please God. This idea of being godly is not hard. It's a natural response from people who have, who have got that knowledge of God and seeing who he is and seeing what he's done and it just flows that we want to be godly, we want to please him in all that we do. It's a joy to do that. It's not a, oh, this is tough. No, it's really happy. We want to be like that. Train yourself to be godly has this effect. 
And the conscience is an important part. It's a, it's a starting point of, of making ourselves godly so the conscience is going to make noise if we're stepping out of what pleases God. If we start to deviate, our conscience is going to start raising alerts for us. In chapter 1, verse 19, it talked about faith, trusting and obeying Jesus, being linked to a good conscience. And it talks here um, that our conscience reacts and wants to keep us holding on to faith. And Bible knowledge is going to be vital to that. And continually refresh our conscience. Refresh our conscience by refreshing our knowledge so it has a clear understanding of what we are to do, of how we are to respond in all situations. And be a people who rely and pray to God as we want to be godly, as we want to live to please him. Not just going off doing it all ourselves, but really submitting and wanting to please him, relying on God, praying to him. Verse 8. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, holding the promise for both the present life and the life to come. Physical training is part of life. It's part of the life then, it's part of the life now. We all understand the importance of physical ability. A physical ability is just the important part of life, but godliness is going to affect life both now and into the future. Even when we're no longer physically able, godliness is really important, impacting all areas of our lives, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So train yourself in godliness in verse 8 is the trustworthy saying. It says in verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying, deserving full acceptance. Paul's got five trustworthy sayings in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles. And this is one of them. And the trustworthy saying, the thing that you should remember, rely on, the thing that you should take notice of is train yourself to be godly. In verse 10, which helps us understand more about this. For this we labour and strive that we put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all men, especially those who believe. We're striving to be godly. We're training ourselves to be godly. We want to please God. And behind that, the motivation is our hope in the living God, who's the saviour of all men. And we understand that we're doing this because God has saved us and we're hoping in him for the present and the future. Someone we can rely on, someone that we can submit to. God's mercy and kindness are evident. And we enjoy them. So let's continue and let's look at what it means for each and every one of us to train ourselves to be godly. We'll look a bit at that more in a moment. Godliness seen in action. In verse 11 he's told to command and teach these things because godliness is not an option, it's a family character of the people who belong to God. And verse 12, be an example for the believers in speech, in life, in faith and in purity. Show up by how you live. Invite people to imitate you. And verse 13, let's read it. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. The public reading of Scripture. Uh, scripture, we're told by, the, um, other, by Paul and also the writer to Revelation, you've got the references on your sheet, 1 Thessalonians 5, Colossians 4 and Revelation 1 and 18. They tell the readers, uh, of the let- or tell the people who get the letters, to read them to the congregations. These letters are not just to certain people, but they're to be publicly read. 
And they put these letters on the same level they do with the Old Testament. And they recognize that God is causing them to write these letters for God's people to read. And so the apostles direct the churches to read these letters aloud in the Christian meetings. That's the same as we do today. And we always read the Bible aloud. We read it usually from the Old and New Testament, sometimes not always, but we're always reading the Bible aloud. And look what it goes on to say after the reading of the Scriptures in verse 13. Devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, so the public reading, so everyone can understand it in a language that people can understand, to preach and to teach. Now, it's interesting that the public reading of scriptures is followed by preaching and teaching because the preaching and teaching is to come from the public reading of scriptures. It's the Bible. It's, it's what God says is being, um, being preached on and taught. And it's important it's the public reading because when, we, when the person is speaking and teaching, you want to see they're saying what God says, not what they say. Or you want to be able to understand what is what God says and what is what they're then saying on top of that which I'm doing tonight. And you need to be careful to make sure what I say agrees with what's in the Bible. I haven't stretched it out so far that I've broken all connection and made something new because that's dangerous for you. Some people do that. Some people actually don't even uh, get you to look at the Bible. They talk uh, about the Bible rather than from the Bible. So they won't say necessarily, um, you know, open up to the ear. And I did that to you tonight. Uh, when I mentioned uh, the passages in 1 Thessalonians, Colossians 4 and Revelation 1 and also Genesis uh, 1, I didn't get you to turn back there and look at them. But I did give you the references on the sheet. And I hope you check up my references. I hope you hold me accountable that I don't mislead you because then you're being a wise Christian. Because there's some people who get up and say things and even quote a reference, but they'll distort it or it won't be correct. And there's people out there who will... T- Take the meaning of the Bible to say what they want to say rather than what God says. You need to pick that up. Easy enough to do, you go and look at the Bible. When they're talking, you go and read the references and see if they're talking, speaking the truth. Or, in this case, go home and check out the references. Make sure they're right. People talking uh, about the Bible don't go to the Bible. People talking from the Bible are people who are going to actually show, look at verse 13, let me read it out, let's point it out, they're going to make you see this is what God says, okay, how does that apply? That's speaking from the Bible. And that's what Paul's saying should happen. Preaching and teaching should come after the reading of Scripture and the reading of Scripture is then what they're preaching and teaching on, not their own ideas and stuff. And people can give their own ideas, but they can't disguise it as in this is what God says in, in 1 Timothy. They've got to say, this is what I say, da-da-da-da, just to be clear where it's coming from. Because remember, this is your knowledge base. This is your knowledge base that's going to direct your conscience. This is the knowledge base directing your conscience to make you or help you, guide you to live godly, to please God, and you don't want to corrupt it by wrong information that's going to take you the wrong way and shipwreck your faith or get you in danger. So you want to keep it clear that's coming from the Bible. What is it saying? And by all means, if I ever say anything you disagree with, come and talk to me. I'd be really happy about that. Um, no problem at all if you do that. Scriptures, reading, and then preaching and teaching from the Scriptures. He says in verse 14, 
Sometimes for the sake of speed, I don't read every verse. That's where you'll see that I just summarize them. Do not neglect your gift, which is given to you for a prophetic message um, when the body of elders lay hands on, their, on you. Uh, he was commissioned by a group of people who called him um, and uh, commissioned him to serve, and he was equipped by God with a prophetic gift of ministry to serve. He's told in verse 15, Be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them, so that one may see your progress. He's called to be devoted to his duty and also that the people can see constant growth in him as a leader, setting an example. So he needs to have a dynamic and progressive maturing in Christ that can be seen by other people. And watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them because if you do so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close eye on these things, your life and your life, that conduct and character and also your doctrine the teaching of other people, and persevere in them. And don't remember, you're always saved by grace demonstrated in works of love. Training ourselves to be godly. How's your training program? Have you got a training program? You should have a training program. We all should have a training program. What is a training program going to look like to be godly? Well, it's going to have to have knowledge, isn't it? Because we've looked at tonight very clearly, you've got to have knowledge, your conscience is going to help you steer in that knowledge, but from knowledge you're then going to need to live it out. And so we've got to keep getting knowledge, and we've not, not just new knowledge, you don't just get knowledge and then you sort of, that's it, I've got it all. We never have all our knowledge about Jesus Christ, about the Bible, about how God wants us to live. And our knowledge just keeps growing and growing and, and developing. And my need, knowledge needs to develop as, as I get older, as my life changes, I need to continue to have a renewing knowledge because my perspective changes, my understanding of things changes, um, my impact of what's happening in my life changes. I need to have continuing knowledge how to deal with all that. We all do. So to get this knowledge, you and I need to keep taking it from the Bible. Understanding what's the Bible telling me? What does God want me to do? How am I to live as a person of God? Number one, we pray about it and we ask God, help me to read the Bible, help me to understand it. You know, the funny thing, not funny, the amazing thing is God will. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him, not just know who he is, but know him in our mind and live it out in our heart. And so let's be praying to him. Let's also keep coming to church and, and uh, different groups. And we have in our church youth and, and, and different Bible study groups and other places where people are expanding God's word, teaching God's word. But make sure they're teaching what's in the Bible. Or make sure you know what's in the Bible and what they're then explaining, what they think it means. But make sure you know what the Bible is. Your own personal Bible study. Find a time to read the Bible. Find a time to, to study it. And you don't have to study great slabs. You can if you've got time. But sometimes just one verse can be enough to challenge me for the whole day or week. Let's be people who can't get enough of knowing God. Behind godliness, that's what it is. Godliness is all about wanting to please God, having a relationship with God. And behind that is knowing him. And can't get enough of knowing him. And if we've got an attitude like that, then we'll just keep drawing in information about God and learning about God. And that'll give us a really clear understanding of what we can't do, what we do, and how to keep going forward.
You know, in the Southern Cross, there's some people that have got away from Jesus in other dioceses. And then they're going a pretty peculiar way. And they're trying to get others like our diocese and, and other Christians to come with them. And we're saying, hey, no, you're going the wrong way. That's disaster. Don't go there. And they can't see it. Let's not get like that. Because their problem is they've lost sight of Jesus. Or they've got a different Jesus to the one in the Bible. They've made up their own Jesus. And he's someone they like and want to follow, but is nothing like what's in the Bible. Let's not do that. You know, there's a danger for me to do that. What about you? I'm sure there's a danger for each and every one of us to make our own Jesus and make him more easy to follow, more attractive to follow, take a bit off here, take a bit off there, take a bit more off, and just sort of, you know, make it a bit easier for us. Let's not be like that. Let's be people saying, no, I want to follow the Jesus of the Bible, and I know it's going to hurt at times because it's going to mean I've got to change and I've got to struggle with things that I don't want to struggle with, but I'm going to follow the Jesus of the Bible. And I'm not going to do it in my own strength. I'm going to ask the Father to help me, and he will. Let me pray. God, you're, uh, you know us, you know our human nature. You know our human nature to, we are rebels, but we don't always do it out front. We don't sort of say, God, you know, we don't want him to do with you, but we do water down what you want us to do, and we try and twist it and change it. That's our nature. Help us to recognise that. Help us to continue to be focused on Jesus and recognise who Jesus is, God made man, and what you've done for us in Jesus. But we won't want to change Jesus. We want to get to know him more. We'll be in awe and wonder and amazement of what you've done for us in Jesus. And we want to please you, God, because of that. And we want to change. We want you to remove the areas of our life that are not right and protect us from going down the wrong way. And Lord, we don't want to have such stubborn, proud hearts that we don't listen. And Lord, we want to have consciences that are, that are easily provoked, easily on guard, that protect us. Help us have that knowledge base, Lord, that guides our conscience. We pray in your name. Amen. <laughs>